The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. I hope you had a nice weekend. I certainly did. I'll catch up on some of the highlights and lowlights throughout the course of the next four hours. One story I read in the New York Post over the weekend by reporter Tina Moore I found incredibly disturbing. Many of you may have seen it, but I want to bring it to your attention in case you haven't. Because the New York State Parole Board is quite possibly getting set to release yet another cop killer. One of the four killers convicted in one of the most notorious cop murders in New York City history is coming up for parole this week and the slain cop's family is preparing for the worst after enduring the release of the first murderer last year. Now, if you're keeping track, if it seems like we do this a lot, we do. The board has released 37 cop killers since 2017. Now, I think if you listen to this program, you know I'm not the kind of person that is into locking people up and throwing away the key. But in almost every one of these 37 examples, these people were murdered in a particularly brutal fashion. And I think if you're going to do that to a human being, but especially a police officer, you should never, ever be able to be let out of prison. So Todd Scott is currently at a maximum security state prison for second degree murder in the killing of Eddie Byrne. Big, big story. A lot of you remember it took place February 26, 1988. This was a gangland execution that shocked the nation, which was at the height of the crack epidemic. Byrne had been on the force for just a month when he was ambushed by Scott and three accomplices while guarding the Queen's home of a witness who was planning to testify against Jamaica drug kingpin Howard Pappy Mason. Mr. Scott admitted that his job was to distract the rookie officer who was sitting in his 103 precinct patrol car outside the house. And the four co-conspirators split an $8,000 payment from the gang boss for this cold-blooded contract murder. Each was sentenced to 25 years to life. The wheelman, Scott Cobb, was sprung last year after serving 34 years behind bars. Now, Eddie Byrne's family is still grieving, and they for years have been urging the state parole board not to release his killers. Unfortunately, by releasing Scott Cobb last year, they set the precedent that they're going to start releasing people. And I don't know about you, but I am not at all optimistic that they won't do the same thing with Todd Scott this week. Two of the other accomplices remain behind bars. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Tomorrow, everyone, this is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Moreno. It is no secret that Eric Adams is struggling with his approval rating in this city. He's underwater with some of the lowest approval ratings any mayor has ever had since they first started keeping track of this thing. But because New York City is still very much a left-of-center city, a lot of folks have said that his greatest danger is not from someone on the right, like a Curtis Lewa or a Joe Borelli, 
but instead someone on the left. Well, a couple of days ago, Mayor Adams got his first real left-wing challenger, and that is the former New York City controller, former Manhattan Borough President, former State Assemblyman Scott Stringer, who formed a campaign committee and has begun raising funds as he explores a bid. The Manhattan Democrat presents the first real, official, formal, and viable challenge to Mayor Adams. And just as he did when he ran against Adams three years ago, he's going to be opposing Adams from the left. He told Politico New York, you can't love migrants on Monday, blame them for the ills of the city on Wednesday, and fail to build relationships at the highest level of government and think it's going to be okay. A lot of you might remember what happened with Stringer's campaign back in 2021. He was a frontrunner in the crowded Democratic primary for mayor before a sexual misconduct allegation derailed his campaign and he finished in a distant fifth place. Now I have to tell you, I'm no fan of Scott Stringer would never vote for him, have never voted for him for anything. But I think he got a raw deal in terms of that uh, sexual harassment or sexual misconduct allegation. And I don't think that that was a substantive allegation at all. That being said, I don't think going from Eric Adams to Scott Stringer would be much of an improvement. Would some things improve? All right, maybe you'd have someone that wasn't out until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning going out on the town, but Stringer is a politician's politician. He's never really had a job outside of politics, except for a bar that he opened, which failed. And he's the kind of politician that sticks his finger in the wind to see which direction it's blowing, and then he goes in that direction. He's a total political opportunist, and these last few years, because that's the way he perceives the wind's shifting, he has tried to carve out a niche for himself in the far, far left lane of the Democratic Party. I don't think he's going to be very successful here because Stringer, who's Jewish and has always been a pretty steadfast and dogged supporter of Israel, I expect the Israel-Gaza situation to be first and foremost on the minds of New York City Democrat primary voters, even though the mayor of New York City has nothing to do with the situation in the Middle East. I can't see him denouncing what Israel's doing and saying the kind of things that the left wing which dominates the primary field, want to hear. So I'm curious to see where this is going. Look, I'm all for anybody getting into the race that has something to add. I'm all for more voices and more choices. I just can't see any scenario in which Scott Stringer beats even an embattled Eric Adams. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Do you remember the Jewish Republican politician from Brooklyn who avoided criminal charges after carrying a gun to an anti-Israel rally? Ina Vernikov, she is a council member from Brooklyn, I believe the 48th district. Well, now, even though she wasn't charged with a crime, let alone convicted, it's being reported in the New York Post, and I've heard this through the political grapevine as well, but this is the first time it's been publicly reported, that the committee that would investigate any issues with council members, the Standard and Ethics Committee, is now expected to probe Councilmember Ina Vernikov's actions on October 12th. And as part of the rejiggering of committee assignments, they did away with Councilman Kalman Yeager. He was replaced with Sandra Ung. And this is part of a slew of controversial new committee member assignments that were put together by the Speaker Adrian Adams. And now, one lefty council member told Rich Calder in the New York Post 
The feeling is the committee will go after Vernikov, especially since a lot of members are not happy that law enforcement decided to do nothing with Ina's case. Now, Yeager, an Orthodox Jew, was not expected to move ahead with a probe against Vernikov once prosecutors dropped the charges. Both he and Vernikov are no longer ethics committee members under this reorganization. So now... People are concerned that they may look to sanction her or even expel her from the city council. I have to tell you, this has all the makings of a kangaroo court. I mean, law enforcement looked at this. Presumably, the district attorney in Brooklyn looked at this. They chose not to file charges. And even with all that was going on, even with all this known, she was still reelected overwhelmingly in one of the very few competitive council districts in all of New York City. So who is the city council? If this is accurate, which I'm hearing from my friends on the city council, that it is. Who is the city council to step in and say, oh, no, we know better than law enforcement. We know better than the voters. Even though she wasn't charged with a crime, we're going to throw her out. This is insane. Absolutely insane. And the people of New York should not stand for this. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. One of the constant themes that I have harped on since I've been on the radio is my hatred of war. I absolutely hate it, and I think it's incredibly futile in almost every instance, and I think we should take pains to avoid it. And I read a story this weekend that absolutely broke my heart and warmed the cockles of my heart simultaneously. And it has to do with a four-year-old boy named Omar Abakwake. Omar Abakwake lived in Gaza. His parents were killed when his house was bombed. His grandparents were killed and all of his siblings were killed. And he himself is very, very badly burned and lost his arm. And after a 12-hour flight from the Egyptian border, this frightened four-year-old gazed around, clung to his aunt's side and cried his eyes out. He was incredibly frightened. But what made his arrival all the more terrifying were the 25 strangers who were on hand to greet the young child, an entourage that included staffers from U.S. Customs and Border Patrol who facilitated his entry into the country and the press who were there to capture the moment. Although the long trip was thrilling in some ways for this astute little boy who observed flying over water a good portion of the time, it was a sad visit for his aunt who serves as his chaperone for his visit. So he's now been brought to New York where he's getting treatment and hopefully will eventually get fitted for a prosthetic arm. And this is all made possible due to a nonprofit called Global Medical Relief Fund, which is founded by Elisa Montanti, who's the also the director and it just breaks your heart because he's such a cute little boy and to see him so badly burned and missing an arm is just enough to make you tear up and then I saw you know when we had snow last week I saw a photograph of Elisa Montanti meeting Omar and I saw the two of them go out on the front deck of the hospital and she showed him snow for the first time and he held snow in his hand 
for the first time. And apparently this was the first time he had smiled since his parents and family were all killed. And this is just one little boy. I'm sure there are thousands of others like it in Gaza. I'm sure there are thousands of others like him in Ukraine. I'm sure there are thousands of others like him in uh, Yemen and countless other places where wars are raging, Sudan and you name it, anywhere else that uh, there are wars going on right now. So when people act like big shots saying, we need to go in this place, we need to go in that place, we need to bomb so-and-so, we need to bomb that person, remember that this is what they're creating. They're creating limbless little boys who grow up as an orphan and the highlight of their trip to get medical treatment is maybe seeing snow for the first time. So God bless you, Omar, and God bless the Global Medical Relief Fund. To be continued.